0: Ideas can be farmed. The seeds of ideas can be planted, cultivated, harvested, distributed, and consumed. For ideas about growing, marketing, and consuming food, Idea Farming Consultancy was created to help organizations tell their stories and grow their brands. And for conversations about ideas that will matter, we have the Farm to Table Talk podcast. To connect on strategic consultancy, go to idea-farming.com. And to hear the ideas we're watching, stay tuned for Farm to Table Talk. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Food is changing. How will we eat? That's the question posed in the Farm to Table Talk Clubhouse to Troy Hooper, a multi-business entrepreneur in the hospitality space with a consulting practice to build and scale emerging brands. Troy and I are joined live in the Clubhouse room by a large group of members and joining us, as we say, on stage our Chef Dr. Mike, a cardiologist, professional chef, and author, Along with regenerative livestock manager Ben Glasson, farmer Cindy Buchert, Sarah Calvosa, indigenous Californian food writer, and many others. Troy, why well, I had the idea of having this as a subject today is because uh, I've heard you in a couple of the other ag discussion rooms. And Ben, you might have been in, and Cindy, I think you too. Have been in the rooms where Troy has brought up some really interesting observations and how things seem to be changing in the world of food and what the future looks like. And and I, you know, I heard him say that, and I thought it was one of those discussions. I thought, you know, I'd like to talk about it some more. So I reached out to Troy and said, Why don't you come into our clubhouse room and let's talk about how food is changing. And, and how it's going to be and how we're going to eat. And and we that seems like a silly thing. We're probably going to eat with knives and forks and plates. But but really, uh, where do we source our food? And and simply, I often have gone to a whiteboard and tried to start drawing the channels of how all the food makes it to our plate. And Troy, this is where I wanna bring you in too, because I think it's looking differently. The the simplest diagram I used to make was uh, make a bar across the where you ended up getting your food, and one category was what we referred to HRI. For some reason, we don't say that as much anymore. That acronym was still stood for hotels, restaurants, and institutions, and that could include uh, you know ships at sea and cruises and all sorts of things. I wonder whether that could include food trucks now as, as well. And then the other side was retail, all the supermarkets, convenience stores, and so forth. The third category, Ben, where you enter into it is like neither of those channels, uh, direct to the farmer. And we know there are more and more people that are in that. And Cindy, you have opinions on that as well. And that's where I want to kind of get everybody to kind of jump into it. And I see some folks down below that I know are not going to be bashful before long that have come up and join us as, as well. But uh, but Troy, why don't you introduce yourself again? And then we're going to start talking about these concepts that have really uh, attracted your attention. Some you're engaged with, and, and some, Troy, it just strikes me, you're just curious about. It. You think this might just happen. And I found it so interesting. Intriguing. I thought, why don't you bring it up into a room? So, so Troy, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you introduce yourself, and then let's just plunge in and start talking about the changing frontier and what it might mean to how we how we eat food in the future.
1: Well, thanks, Roger, and and uh, I really have appreciated and enjoyed uh, hearing your perspective and your leadership in in many rooms that are. Uh, Uniquely different from some of the restaurant spaces that uh, myself and many of the friends down below uh, spend our time in and I equally thought it was quite intriguing because it's such an important part of what I think the future of not only restaurants, but food service and food sourcing is, and and you, I think, have a great sense of pulse from that other side, from that supply side, from that producer side, and I think us on the consumer and buyer side, uh, it's a great marriage of mine. So thank you for the time, the space, and and the invitation. Uh, My name is Troy Hooper. I'm a uh, multi-business entrepreneur in the hospitality space. Um, We have a consulting practice where we uh, build and scale emerging brands. We also um, have an ownership group where we have built and are launching a group, a collection of brands called the Nourish Brands. And Roger, as a tease uh, to some of the things you've already said, uh, I would argue that knives and forks uh, may not be the only mechanism to get food in our bodies in the future. Um, I would argue that there's a list of probably 10 new ways we're going to get food uh, that are already on the horizon besides the ones that you listed. Uh, and that's the exciting uh, and scary and uncertain part of it. Uh, I'm grateful for, for everybody in this room and, and those that have followed us in here. But you know, Chef Dr. Mike is somebody that I follow and, and have been very impressed with. I think the future of food does include the consideration very, very heavily of um, what the result or purpose of that food in our body is. And I think leaders like Chef Dr. Mike, who've created information and curriculum and guidance for us all. Um, and then, of course, Ben, you know, and looking at what a, a direct source, direct relationship to your food sourcing, which is a big part, an important part of our business model going forward um I, I just am grateful and appreciative that you put such a great panel and have so many friends in the room we can have a real lively and uh, i think informative discussion
0: i rattled off two or three different spaces that we get our food and you you said there might be ten you know plunge in indulge us and you you don't have to have these all proven that they exist today but some of the give us some ideas of the kinds of different places you think we're going to be other than the supermarket and the restaurant
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is fun, Roger. So uh, phase one, um, you're going to have food uh, assembled, produced, cooked uh, to order on its way to you inside of an autonomous vehicle from a robotic kitchen that's mounted in that vehicle um, that is scaled to half the size of a compact Prius or about you know that. Um, and so you're going to order your food on an app, uh, probably not with your fingers on a smartphone. You're going to speak it out loud, uh, to the many devices that are actually listening. And they are, um, don't let anybody tell you they're not listening. They are certainly listening. Uh, and I I have many forms of proof of that. Um, and and that customized food is going to, um, going to be originated in that vehicle, uh, or or very nearby usually within the last two or three miles before your house. And it's only going to be produced uh, in the last minutes before it hits your door. So it's the freshest, cleanest, most nutritious version of itself. That doesn't take into consideration the sourcing of those ingredients, but that's just a delivery mechanism to give an example. Um, I think we are within 15 to 20 years, and Dr. Mike might want to uh, slap me for this, but – You know, uh, I think the idea of dog food for humans is on the horizon in in the methodologies of cellular agriculture uh, grown, uh, lab grown, so to speak, foods. Uh, I think customization, and he might like me for this, customization of your diet, based on your medical DNA profile, your cellular profile, your current status of health uh, from both hormone and, and other parameters. Uh, and again, I'm not the doctor in the state of Dr. Mike is, but I think that um, people will make food for you uh, specific to your regenerative health and longevity needs. Um, and, and so those are some sort of one is closer, the first one, and one's further, but, one thing that I think we all need to accept today is that the the cadence of innovation, development, adoption and adaptation um, has accelerated. And, and certainly COVID helped with that. But um, just the maturity of things like accepting of the Internet and digital communication and technology. These things have taken their time and people are like, oh, this is happening so fast. Well, you know, look, 1995 internet, right? So um, it it has taken time to mature and and things to develop. But I think that the advent of invention uh, and the adoption of of many inventions uh, will be highly accelerated. So it's going to feel really, really fast for those of us probably north of 25. But anybody... Scratching twenty and below, um, things can't happen fast enough because they're used to instant gratification and
0: you know I got at least three listeners that you really got the got them to perk up and they're paying attention. It's a uh, uh, Siri, Alexa, and Google here in my office exactly. and sometimes and they can't resist sometimes they all start talking, and I've had them actually arguing with each other uh, so i'm 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 hesitating because I'm sure I could turn around and say their names right now. And they would jump into the conversation, but this is a pretty out there kind of kind of vision. Uh, again, uh, you're in the farmer table talk room. We're starting to get uh, quite a little gathering here, and I'm Roger Wasson, and we're talking about how food is changing. We're talking to Troy Hooper. and um, you're you're putting out there some pretty out there kind of ideas. They seem uh, they they seem distant, but let me let me pause a minute. And do, does anyone on stage have a, a comment or, or a question on what Troy has posed so far?
2: Well, I, I just add, um, I, it, it sounds pretty far out, but uh, really to sort of back Troy up on this, um, it, it's not. So there, there's a whole field, and in fact there's whole clubhouse rooms on uh, the study of nutrigenomics. And so for example, what that's gonna do is look at your DNA, um right now it's, it, it's the cost can be a little uh prohibitive but it's actually coming down fairly quickly um, as the technology improves and more and more people do it and more companies get into the market uh some of them now can actually use if you've done the dna um, bit with ancestry and i think 23andme uh, they, they can actually use that sample you already sent in for an additional fee and uh what they'll do is look at your DNA and examine what's called single uh, nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs, uh, SNPs, and that looks at the very slight what we call point mutations that everyone has in their their DNA, some of the things that make you you and and me me, and uh, what they're starting to examine, what the science is looking at, is so often um, we've kind of come from the other end where we say, well, uh you know uh what the carbohydrates do when they go into our body what do these foods do looking at the foods you know um and, and in a general category and this kind of approaches the other way and says well what do you do with the foods because it turns out that uh we're all different big surprise there but we all metabolize these foods and respond to them differently and and to just give you a a very potent example uh there was a physician i was talking to and she was ta- she had done She actually does nutrigenomics now, and uh, she had said, well, gosh, you know, I had my second child. I started to really gain weight, so what did I do? I started, you know, working out. I became a vegan, and, you know, I also became a diabetic, and things just weren't working, and she got uh, nutrigenomic analysis and found out that she has some – um, but rare, but you know, not uncommon. I should say, not terribly rare. Uh, anomaly in in the way she handles carbohydrates, which is not great if you're a, a vegan. So she switched and put in a lot of chicken and fish into her diet, changed the way she worked out based on other uh, based on other genomic data. Long story short, um, she lost almost 100 pounds, is no longer diabetic, you know, and feels great. So. That In a sense, that can be uh, the future. Um, Troy knows I'll, I'll have some, some other things to the contrary, but I did want to back them up. It's, it's not as far-fetched, and, and, and there is a lot of this science that is forming a foundation in place for all the things.
1: And, Roger, if I can, if I can uh, sort of uh, put an asterisk on my comments for the day, uh, I'm not a futurist. I'm not a genius. Uh, I'm not inventing any of these things. I am simply aware of what is occurring. Anything I reference today exists in some form, even at its genesis, you know, pre-alpha seed test place. I just know that there the lack of resistance to its to its adaptation, implementation, and adoption uh, is is nearing very very low uh, numbers. So anything I reference uh, is real. Uh, I'm certainly not. Um, making up ideas that I think are hypothetical. Um, th- these are real solutions that exist in some form today. Testing
0: again. It just this is just um, bursting my head trying to trying to think about all of this, how that might materialize, and and somehow Ben. One thing I think about when we start matching up all of the science of saying, "Well, this body needs such and such," and. Uh, And and it's true that we can get down to the science, we can get the technology, we can apply things and maybe even destroy a sand, kind of it can come together on its way to our home before we consume it exactly how we want it. But the other dimension that, Ben, I think of operations like yours is satisfying is uh, another need humans have uh, to be able to connect with their food and the story about how their food is grown and the feeling of knowing that it's grown sustainably, uh, that they they know the, the grower, they trust it. Um, and I'm wondering, Ben, as you hear this, do you have any reaction of the track that you're on, which connects with another need that humans are increasingly having with this application of technology and, and the, the health issues and opportunities that Chef Dr. Mike is mentioning?
3: Yeah, thank you, uh, Troy. Very interesting work that you're doing. And I see what I'm doing as just one further step up the supply chain. And so Troy is talking about very decentralized uh, systems, food systems. And so when we look at uh, getting local food to people, we're looking at decentralizing our food systems. And that's what I work to scale. So whether it's uh, the hardest part for any small farmer is the processing, whether it's a an inspected abattoir or an inspected kitchen uh, or an inspected wash pack station for a vegetable producer. And so the, you know, uh, shipping container style abattoirs that I'm building um, or or wash pack stations that are shared by vegetable producers, those are the central hubs where all of these ideas funnel into. So it is one step up the, the uh, supply chain. Um, and I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, some of those ideas and like the the mobile autonomous food truck, uh, that kind of, because it's already an automated system and the person is specifying their order, you know, it can connect those two pieces of the specified diet. Say it's a taco truck. Well, you can order whatever variety of tacos you'd like that fit your personal diet, but it's a mobile delivery service. Um and, and then the suppliers for that can be these decentralized local um, producers. And I also see, Troy, um, you're involved with uh, shipping container farming, vertical growing, which is just another opportunity for vertically integrating um, uh, local food, even in urban systems where you know, the vegetable producer could be right next to the shipping container abattoir. We are creating a uh, modular system Uh, And so many companies are using the shipping container as their base uh, because then, you know, no matter what the company who uses the shipping container module, you can stack these different enterprises, being it, be it uh, energy, whether it's uh, being able to use things like biodigesters that create the power for these facilities, whether it's solar on top, whether it's abattoirs, whether it's uh, food rendering, whether it's processing, further processing uh, for the restaurants uh, and and so I think there's a lot of potential in these modular units and how it all connects very well.
0: Hey, hey Ben, explain.
3: Oh, go
2: ahead,
0: Dr. Oh,
2: i I had a question for Troy and Ben, um, because to me, there's a there's, you know, from from my world and my viewpoint, there's sort of a fundamental, forgive the pun, fork in the road, because you know if, if we look at kind of how fast food um you know operates the, on the principles of mcdonaldization what it requires uh in in terms of automation and delivery is it requires incredibly consistent food because they want to deliver an incredibly predictable product um which is why a mcnugget requires 40 ingredients and a, a chef can go to bed, and get a chicken and you know make a piece of fried chicken with four or five ingredients so you know I, 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 what I see is um, you know a potential, uh, and I don't maybe I'm just not understanding how they can connect because when I I'm hearing the automation, I'm saying you know it's basically fast food on uh, you know on wheels that that's automated and you're getting rid of uh, the, the the personnel um, and the overhead of a bricks and mortar store and employees, but that but that final product is still one. That, that's going to require that predictable, consistent food, which means ultra processed food, and not the the food that people like me go to Ben for, which is real flavor and, and has a certain terroir and a and a certain taste and and into it. So, um, could you guys maybe comment on?
1: Yeah. So, Chef Dr. Mike, I would. But You're a very busy man, and do not, never would expect you to be following restaurant industry news uh, on a daily basis. I, I, I appreciate the everything you're doing and and spreading in the space. You're not just you know in a lab testing ideas and and publishing white papers. You're actually teaching the future of our medical field and and our culinarians at the same time, and I love it. Uh, uh, let me call out a, a, a scenario that exists today um, that will prove to you that that it is not fast and processed only. Sweet Greens bought spice. Now, in my opinion, spice of the three automatic uh, robotic, automated um, kitchen modules, uh, that exist today, uh, at, you know, are, are deployed and, and working um, was was the lesser of the three ready for full-scale deployment, but Sweet Greens has billions of dollars and will be able to certainly get that repaired and out to very quickly. Um, so, if you appreciate the quality of ingredients, the regionalized sourcing that Sweet Greens does for their salads, quinoa bowls, rice bowls, etc., um, that will be Paired down to a size a scalable size that at the very least a, a a sprinter van or a transit van would be able to have that unit in it on the road and so you would actually have fresh regional or local produce um, uh, cut uh vacuum stored in in low or no oxygen environment tubes the order would come in um it would it would produce that food from those in quality real nutritious ingredients um and and then bring that to your door in a cellophane vacuum packed like factor foods or or chef's mate or something of that nature uh to your door um so so that actually exists and it's not yes is domino's going to be the first to do this yes uh 800 degrees pizza is going to put it in a box uh, at every 711 yes um but even those are are fresh dough, fresh cut ingredients. Do I think fast food's going to do this? Of course, um, they've got to figure out that they're going to start air frying everything rather than deep frying it in an oil. And as soon as they do that, they don't need to worry about the oil and the and the fire danger. And so that will go mobile and and, and localized. The last thing I'll say is it, back to the vertical farming and 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 ben, You know, providing access to people uh, more directly is is in particularly high density urban zones. Um, and if you think about the way the world's going in regards to the uh, look at Seoul, South Korea, uh, in, in, in everything going very vertical, growing food on and about the building, um, and, and the gardens around and the grounds around being all food producing, you know, in America, we've got to get to edible landscaping, but the ability to take a Babylon farms, which these are retail products that I'm referencing, or a freight farms, which Babylon is a non-containerized, scalable uh, hydroponic vertical farm system that is uh, monitored by your phone uh, and, and centrally monitored by by their specialist farmers. Uh, but you take freight farms who does the same thing in a container. It's about getting the higher quality, organic, non-bastardized, uh non-gmo foods as close as we possibly can get them um hang on one second just uh take care of that um and 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 get of course more nutritious foods because realize the food that comes to you today if it is not from within four five seven hundred miles whatever that is um is being picked uh, Pre ripeness. And so it's it's nutritional value and, and, and nutritional, and you know this, Dr. Mike, nutritional um, uptake uh, for your body is, is far less than advertised. So if we can have farms, uh, you know, call it a warehouse, right, in a space in your neighborhood, uh, growing nutritious food that's picked to order as needed, uh, put into these automated uh, roving kitchens, and then you can have fresh, clean, healthy food on demand, much more so than what. Is going in down the street for me, which is another new Taco Bell, Popeyes, and El Pollo Loco. Uh, that is what is you know becoming you know available to my neighborhood, uh, which is ridiculous. And so um, th- this is this does not have to be to, to your point, Doctor Mike. Only highly processed, packaged, pre-made, heat and served.
2: Well, that's brilliant, and and that's definitely something that um, you know, excites me and, and I definitely can get behind that. So thanks. For- yeah, I can to that. Go ahead, Ben.
3: Um, I think to your question about the terroir, it's, it's certainly when you're decentralizing the, the product, say it's, you know, a fried chicken product, um, and a certain type of, uh, you know, the producers, the, if the truck it will have a different terroir from city to city and so the consistency won't be from city to city but if that truck is working specifically with a couple of local farms then any farmer it is their goal to create a consistent product uh you know the the terroir difference will actually be become even in chain restaurants will become something that's desirable like you know people want to go to an in and out wherever they go for that experience of oh i've been in 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 and out in so many different states well think about doing that with an in and out who produce who uses their local producers beef now there actually is terroir even in a fast food restaurant or, or any of the, you know, further versions of that, um, in the future, whether it's, however, the food system becomes decentralized.
0: Uh, let's go to Cindy. Cindy, uh, I know you've got some similar perspectives to Ben on some, some of these areas. What do you think about what we're putting on the table today?
4: I'm actually doing a great deal listening because I'm actually moving vegetables around. Um, I'm actually still absorbing that there's a lot of high tech that you're talking about in here, and food production and the way we eat food is is definitely changing a lot and a different way of doing things. Uh, it's interesting about the genetics, and we all know our, our everybody's body handles things differently, um, which is kind of cool that. Maybe eventually that'll be cost-effective enough for each one of us to learn that about ourselves so we eat, eat more healthfully. Um, but I also see a great deal of people wanting to um, see where their food comes from and how it's produced and know their farmer and have that whole backstory. Um, ben does farming to table and I do farming to table and, you know, the base of my business runs off of doing CSAs and also direct selling um, to each one of my individual customers. So I have relationships with them. They know me, I know them. We know what's going on in each other's lives. That seems kind of crazy, but there is that connection and therefore the trust. And like he just said, if it's not coming local, it's coming pre-ripe, uh, being picked pre-ripe, so the nutritional value is not there. Or it's sitting on the shelf for a long time, like eggs, so you know nutritional value is not there. So I think we could also do a lot, not only with these technological advances that we're having, but also trying to get people to eat within their community and supporting their local producers in their community, Knowing their farmer, knowing the food, where it comes, how it was raised. And that would allow us to be able to provide that service because it's pretty expensive to be able to do, especially not on a corporation scale, just on an individual farmer's scale.
0: Those are really good points. And it makes me think that if we can, if we we're putting together all these different foods, why couldn't it include both local? And something else. In other words, uh, Troy, I wonder whether I could say I really want to have uh, turkeys that are raised and processed by by Ben, and I want to get a banana from the Honduras, and I want to get pineapple from Hawaii, and and I want to get down to that specific uh, specificness. I can't say speci- specificity or something uh, in there, but it's it's sort of. Uh, uh, a contradiction in a way because uh, we're talking about just in time for just in time for supper almost, but having what you needed of all these things, but not excluding with a local story and more story and really the maximum in customization. I just wonder how far you can see, Troy, that you know combination of all these different things we would like to have and having those inputs into what's assembled for us for tonight's dinner
1: the metaverse democratizes and simplifies access to that information so if i can go into a metaverse environment uh say that i want to um tour uh and speak with some turkey farmers um i will fly there as fast as uh the blink of an eye uh that person on the other end, uh, let's say it's Ben in this case, uh, says, hey, Troy, uh, what's up? What can I help you with? Hey, Ben, uh, tell me a little bit about your turkey farming and and why your turkeys are the healthiest, um, happiest and best cared for. Uh, he tells me, I say, yeah, okay, great. But I understand you farm other things, right, Ben? Yes, I sure do. Great. What is the proximity of that activity to the turkeys? And, and are you using any um any growth accelerators on your plants are you using any pesticides and these are some simple top line ones right it could get more detailed i and this can happen in the blink of an eye uh listen i'm a a co-partner on a real estate firm a brokerage um uh exp the the founder uh created his own metaverse uh now four years ago five years four four or so years ago um, and I no longer need a local office, a local broker, a regional broker. There's one broker and and all of the employees that are the best at what they do in the real estate industry are all centralized from their home in a metaverse environment. And I can ask any question I want. And within 30 to 60 seconds, I get the answer. And I don't have to pay all of those middlemen to uh, to to. Uh, uh non-denocra w- w- uh, dictates <laughs> the ownership of that information is democratized it's decentralized to men's point. and so the metaverse is your an- the answer to your your last question um, and by the way Paige has got some spotty um, uh, uh, cell service so she asked if we could go to Sarah uh, over past her she'll let us know when she
0: well Sarah welcome uh, I'm wondering Sarah did this have some implications for uh, the indigenous communities and the heritage of where our food comes from and how it's produced and how much we learn from uh, indigenous food production, processing, and and, ju- and just wondering if you have any thoughts on on that or anything we put on the table so far, Sarah. So welcome to the room.
5: Ah, uh, Yotwa, Roger, uh, thank you. Ayuki, uh, Nani, Hello, my name is Sarah, and I'm Karuk. And I grew up in the Hoopa Valley Indian Reservation, and I am currently on the Coast Miwok Territory in the Bay Area. And I do traditional food work. And just a quick intro <laughs> introduction, but I was interested in hearing about the, um, I was interested in the implications of this like eating for our genetics kind of Um, line of thinking, because with Native people, you know, we we were sort of forced into, forced away from our traditional foodways, and our health and diet implications of eating commodity foods have, you know, played out into having a lot of diet-related diseases in our communities, and it is very difficult to now switch gears and get out of this commodity-based eating. I mean, they, like most of our communities are not so far along that we could be like, you know, let me source my turkey or my greens, or let me source my foods. That's not, that's really kind of like a hundred steps into potentially decolonizing our diets. Right now, it's more like, how can we start to you know, get back to our traditional food ways one step at a time. And a lot of the diet related diseases like gallbladder disease is more prevalent in native people than in any other demographic. And our bodies are not meant to handle these high fat, highly processed diets. So I, for me, I guess I'm wondering about the how that like how this can be these, this science to determine like what is the best for us? Like how do you scale that for everybody and for communities right now that aren't necessarily um, you know, able people that aren't really able to afford these expensive tests or these expensive diets or these expensive foods? Or is this something that's really just a middle-class kind of like white middle-class Type of
2: thing. Uh,
0: what do you think, uh, Chef Doctor Mike? Do you have an, a, Can you help with that?
2: Well, sh- sure. Um, and uh, I don't think that, you know necessarily. Uh, n- number one, it, to briefly answer your question, um, ultra-processed foods are crap for everyone. So it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, they, no matter where you look across the globe, um, the effects of ultra-processing foods. Um, are having a devastating, uh, impact, uh, on a, on a, a human body. And, uh, that's irrespective of some of the, the nutrigenomic personal genetics, um, you know, that I referenced, um, earlier. So it, in a broad sense, um, I think that we can, we can really, uh, forge a path forward. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things, um, that you mentioned, Sarah, which I think is credible, incredibly, incredibly important is, and, and I think, uh, Cindy mentioned it as well, is the, uh, spiritual, emotional, uh, cultural connections we have to our food, uh, people here are, are talking, and, and often in medicine, we get so hyper-focused on legacy nutrition with regards to our food, but, but food is more than that. Um, we're having a conference, so I'm going to do a shameless plug, um, August uh, 12th to 14th uh, at the University of Montana in Missoula. Uh, it's culinary medicine. It's in a partnership with the American Culinary Federation and a couple other academic institutions, California State, Buffalo Niagara Medical Center, Indiana University, um, et cetera, if, if folks uh, would be interested in coming. But I was just working on that. You know, one of the things um, about food is is the stories that, that it tells, and it tells our individual and cultural stories. and. You know, having a, a lot of, um, you know, Native American friends here in Montana, you know, one of the, the interesting strategies in, in looking at the history was that to colonize, as you said, uh, you take away several things from from a society and culture, you take away their language you take away their religion, and the last thing you take away is their food, uh, because it's that important in in terms of our cultural society and individual identities. Um, so, you know, having, you know, said that, um, you know, I think that what we really need to look at is, you know, people are talking about, well, yeah, there's less nutritional food if it's underripe. We're forgetting the things that we do to our food. Um, so the the ultra-processing in terms of the additives, and when I say ultra-processed, I do mean a very specific definition. It's what's called a nova classification of foods developed by Sao Paulo University uh, in Brazil, uh, and they're called group four foods. So there are a specific class of foods with a specific, you know, definition And and I think that we, you know, Sarah, we can uh, absolutely um, address this. You don't need money. I mean, as a chef um, and as as a food person, you know, some of the most delicious, sought after dishes, um, you know, at one time were peasant food. Uh, You know, 30 to 50% of the food in this country, in the United States, is wasted and thrown away. So when we look at things like food waste, um, when we look at the ability to use all the, the bits of the food, um, you know, I think there are a number of strategies. Um, one of the most important, which uh, I think you and Cindy mentioned, is is having that connection and reestablishing, you know, getting back to the roots of our food. Um, I think that that is just so absolutely critical. So, yeah, there's a lot of advanced science out there that we're looking into things like nutrigenomics. But the the, the overall plan is not complicated. It's like, let's get back to eat some real food. Uh, let's all go, go over to Ben's, you know, and have a picnic and a party and, and a feast and make Troy, you know, pay for the. the-
1: well, and Roger, if I may um, also add to a point there that the chef didn't cover, which from the economic, I mean, he did, he, he did say it doesn't have to be expensive. It's not, um, you know, from from the from the medical side uh, or additive to that conversation, Sarah, is um, if you had a nutritionist or a dietitian. Uh, In partnership with any physician capable of uh, uh, ordering lab tests, um, you'd let's start with the people who have real, actual medical issues today. Uh, That would be 100% covered by insurance, Medicaid, Medicare, et cetera if somebody wanted to do this in a preventative state, right, sort of like the uh, 23andMe or or Ancestry.com, there are companies who specialize in this type of testing that you could actually do on your own. And um, it's under $500. Uh, Now, I completely understand what I'm saying when I say $500. Um, uh, But the fact that Uh, Scale solves all price problems in in a lot of ways. Uh, It is becoming much much more um, attainable. This is not a middle class only uh, affordable health for affordability uh, for people who can afford it only uh, environment. This this is and let me just throw this out there: Um, the fact that an Apple Watch can do an EKG and that your phone uh, Bluetooth. Uh, can communicate with a device uh, attached to your body as a as a diabetic. Uh, It can both read your blood glucose and then uh, inject the correct amount of insulin, uh, tell you when to eat, when not to eat, what to eat. Um, Let's just take that to the next level. If you uh, had a monitor in the future on your body that could test um, hormones and detect uh, you know, things that might cause depression, uh, vitamin D deficiency, uh, things like this, um, and could then Bluetooth talk to your 3d printer. I was going to save this for the end, Roger, but, um, uh, we only got about 15 minutes, uh, then tell your 3d printer what food to make for you. Uh, realizing that a food 3d printer will probably be, uh, $300 within the next three to five years. Um, And those devices being medical devices can be prescribed, and if they're not, um, they're they're for consumer use, they'll probably be um, a subscription model. We're going to get to a point where um, food is medicine, and hopefully Chef Dr. Mike appreciates that statement. Food is treated uh, as both a cultural connection point, a a sustenance and energy uh, efficiency, and also, um, you know, a a prevention and treatment tool uh for our health and um and that's
2: really- Roger can I sure go ahead. one quick thing sure uh Troy um I, I actually totally uh hate the term food is medicine uh i can't get patients to take a, to take an aspirin after they've had a heart attack Um, And, and, you know, uh, who the hell wants to take medicine, right? Um, We we eat food, so we don't have to take medicine. And as I said, you know, food is not just fuel. We're not cars. We're people. We're part of nature and an ecosystem. Um, I don't believe food is just medicine. Um, I believe food is a very important um, experience. Um, And and I I don't want to, you know, hog the stage, but I did want to add one thing um, to follow up with Sarah, Uh, And that's the results of a very interesting study, which was published just a couple months ago. And it looked at how much ultra processed food uh, our young people eat. So they looked at from age, you know, essentially from age five to 19, which was the limits of the upper age of the study. uh, Kids eat about almost 70% ultra processed food uh, in the United States. And one of the interesting things was they looked at it um, by socioeconomic class. And um, what they found is that um, no matter what socioeconomic class you're in, you ate crap. Uh, The kids are eating crap. So it doesn't matter if you have money. It doesn't matter if you're very poor. Uh, What did separate it out, interestingly... Uh, when they looked by uh, Caucasian and African Americans, they grouped uh, very high together. But when they looked at Hispanics, um, they grouped uh, statistically significantly lower in that consumption. And uh, what they found when they dug into that data, the hypothesis is that it has to go with the fact that many Hispanic families now still have uh, times where they eat together, it's a home cooked meal, Um, and it's prepared with real ingredients. And so I I don't think that you can separate out these socio-cultural effects uh, from who we are simply because of the nature of being a human
0: being. Troy, Siva mentioned something, the one final thing I wanted to ask you about. You also have projected what supermarkets how they're going to be changed and how the retail purchase, let alone having something delivered to your house exactly what you need. could you take a take a second or two and and, and touch on that to kind of get our, our minds going in that direction of what the implications for these directions might mean to the supermarket industry and the supermarket experience?
1: Well, absolutely, and then I'll, uh, I'll put a bow on a little bit of uh, what the, the theme today of education, I think, is uh, is loud and clear, and, uh, and I agree, and I want to put a challenge to my restaurateur uh, and food-producing friends in the room as well. Um, yeah, real quick, I mean, th- this goes again with the, you know, sort of automated robotic delivery, last-mile delivery, uh, ghost kitchens now becoming uh, what I'm calling ghost bodegas, but, you know, uh, Near-field, uh, you know, uh, small format uh, grocer uh, solution providers, and and these are these are as small as um, as very small um, shipping containers or trucks, all the way to you know 2,000 square foot, um, you know, back back uh, warehouse spaces and things like this. But but what is absolutely undeniable is, that at least from an investment standpoint. Uh, tens and hundreds of billions of dollars are going into these companies who are providing on-demand 15 to 60-minute grocery solutions. Um, Those are soon, have already started to be paired with pharmacy uh, products. And basically, it's going to come down to uh, what people order in a particular neighborhood is what's going to be available in in the quickest form. And basically, these folks are trying to leapfrog over Amazon, right, where Amazon has Hour guarantee or within the hour guarantee on certain products. These groups are taking sort of those high demand, high frequency products um, and getting between that Amazon fulfillment center and you, and and making those available. Um, you're seeing grocery react. Kroger's built a massive uh, facility that's three stories tall, is run by like I think 18 people that is fully automated and robotic fulfillment. Um, And and you're seeing grocers react by bringing restaurant concepts like Kitchen United's Kitchen United Mix um, multi brand solution and Walmart replacing uh, McDonald's with the ghost kitchens brand, you know, 18 to 20 um, select brands uh, within a Walmart uh, space. Uh, smaller or where the uh, where the McDonald's or or the optometrist used to be um, or or the Wetzel's pretzels in the case of my local one, I guess. Um, So we're seeing we're seeing this again. It's just it's convenience. And and the way I want to wrap a a kind of a bow on this is I'm both equally excited that um, awareness and connectivity. Our food is increasing, I think, dramatically. Um, uh, information, uh, access to information and uh, democratization of information uh, and folks like the farmers in this room and, and ranchers and others um, are getting involved in and have access to share their information directly with the consumer and, and or the restaurateur or the grocer um, and, and the consumer's once the consumer has their hands on information, um, they're not going to let it go, that, that you can't go backwards. They don't wanna be less informed once the convenience of information is available. So I'm really excited that both we're seeing high technology, high convenience, but also equally the interest and in adoption and investment in, um, in anything from vertical farming, really the improvement of the qualities of our food um, at the same time. they're in parallel um universes running on side-by-side tracks and the where those things connect is is really where it's going to make an impact um the last thing i want to say about education uh, in general is i agree i i think there is a responsibility of the uh restaurateurs i'm going to use from my industry specifically but if somebody is providing you whether it's consumer packaged goods whether it's a restaurant tour or, or, or a, uh, a, a, you know, a farmer at a farmer's market, I believe that we have a responsibility to both know uh, what and where our food is and comes from, dig deeper, not just accept the fact that this is the prettiest, cleanest, healthiest looking tomato, but really ask whether or not what's inside that food product is what they say it is and is what it should be. Um, but I think it's also a responsibility to educate our consumers. Um, and so I, I think that we have a lot of opportunity to talk about where our food comes from, the connection we have to the providers and producers of our food, and also uh, be proud of that and share that uh, you know, with our guests and our consumers. Uh, and and make the links in these this chain uh, connect because they, they have been for so long uh, too disconnected and the results are all of the negative things we know about in in big ag and uh, GMO and food processing and things like that so I'm excited that um, I think technology will make all of this m- more accessible and easier and and by the way you know we can be romantic about a lot of ideations but. Humans are becoming far more about convenience, and we have to make sure that with these technology advancements and introduction of ultra, ultra ridiculous convenience, we consider environment, we consider uh, the quality of the food, we consider um, all aspects of the supply chain and those people that are uh, so graciously Um, taking of their life and and caringly producing our food like those that are on
0: stage. Hey, Ben, uh, when he was talking about what Kroger is going to be doing, I thought, why can't Kroger do like Amazon? Because in, in Amazon, if you're looking for a book, you can also have them chase down books. I wonder if someday some of these big companies that are getting more direct can say, okay, I'll go get a turkey from Ben for you. Somewhere in that whole big scheme of things, I think accommodating Programs like that you're developing and the others are showing interest and Sarah and others have brought up today. Seems like there's there's a future here we could get excited about, but there's a lot more to learn. I I wonder, Ben, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up?
3: Yeah, thank you, Roger. Uh, I think my biggest thought on this topic is we are talking about near term future innovations of food. And any time we have any new innovation, it starts as a luxury and then it trickles down. Uh, and so when we think about decentralization of industries, we can also scale that up or scale that down. And so uh, I think that as these ideas come to the market, they will be luxuries and there'll be these newfangled things that are expensive for the elite. But that the trickle down effect of technology uh, allows uh, and, and allows for uh, all of this to be shared much more um, as the years will go by. Um And then another thing that i think about on this is that a lot of companies now of common marketing thread is to offer free um content educational material it education is the best form of marketing right now and so any of these companies that are doing these you know very innovative things that that start for the elite well it's like um you know if you look up any of your your brands of air fryers they're all gonna have recipes on there. And probably many of the recipes, you don't necessarily need that their specific air fryer. Even a convection oven will do the same thing. And so by creating uh, a lot of marketing uh, and education that even these big companies doing the big things will be creating free content, easy ways, easy uh, ways to for um, low income people to access this as they gain interest, as the as these new innovations become more accessible until the point where they are accessible for
0: everyone. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for being in the room. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and